Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How do you feel, Mum, about the fact that Dad hates our favourite pastime, yoga? Uh... Well, I hate his favourite pastime, football, so I think we're quits. But don't you think that if he did yoga, his mental health would be better? Yes, but he can't stretch. He's so unsupple. I don't hate yoga. You do hate yoga. I won't even say what you call it, because it's very offensive. No, well, what I don't like is the way that it sort of seems to have taken over both of your life. I mean, if you're doing yoga, everything else has to stop. And she's even got a sign on the door saying, used to say, don't come in, governor's meeting. It now says, don't come in doing yoga. 24 hours a day is up there. <laughs> is that because you're retired now, so all you no, do is no, yoga? It's just that I, I don't mind so much about the governor's meetings, but I really mind when he charges in and starts talking over my yoga teacher. <laughs> in the first lockdown, there was an article on The Guardian where somebody saw Dad walk in. No, no, they didn't. Oh. They speculated about him walking in. They saw me in the class... Recognised the connection with him and speculate, speculated about him walking in, I think, in a sort which of state of undress. Yeah, which I sometimes walk in and I pretend to do it. Pretend to do yoga. <laughs> yeah, but I can't do it. I literally can't. I can't. I've never touched my toes in my life. But you've got to remember that everybody else in the class can then see what you're doing. And it's not only distracting for me, but it's distracting for them. Yeah, poor them. Really feel sorry for but me. you're even now because you have something that dominates yeah. the, the schedule of your day. Which is what Dad's had with football. Yeah, football dominates that, the schedule of your the schedules of your week. It's worse than that because in this family, there's three against two on the football issue. So th- you know, when you were all at home, it was three, and, when, and if we all get together, all he and the boys talk about is football, 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 football. By the way, football. listeners, that little, little rumbling noise is Sky the dog who's sitting in the middle of us. <gasps> who cannot be separated from me at any point. So, so why are we doing this? Well, that is a question I've been wondering, Grace. Why are we interviewing Fiona Miller? That is really offensive to Fiona Miller because there's a lot to interview her about. I just said, no, to, why I just said to my friends, oh, we're interviewing my mum on the podcast today, and they said, why the fuck haven't you done that already? Because mm. that's what everyone would want to listen to, right? Mm. You are arguably the more interesting member of this partnership because you're more mysterious. You leave more up to the imagination. So people want to know more about you. Everyone knows everything about Dad because he puts everything on his Instagram lives and (laughs) tweets it. My Instagram lives are terrible. You keep telling me that. Well, I don't think I'm just more private and I don't really feel that comfortable about sharing a lot about myself with the public in the way that you two do. But that's probably a good thing because I think this household, not that it is a household, but this bubble 
wouldn't cope with three people trying to sort of expose every aspect of their well, life to public the view. Rest of my life. What are you talking about? No, but you do in a way, not in the same way as me, but you do in a way. Like what? Well, you just talk a lot about, you know... Well, I think... Things that happen with this politician. You've got a fucking new volume of your diaries. You don't need to swear in every sentence. Yeah, but that is so exposing, what you do in your diaries. That's you're true. always bringing out your diaries, dear diary. It's that's a very true. personal part of your life. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, OK. Yeah, I get that. But mum is more mysterious. Yeah, more private. It's more I don't think I'm a particularly mysterious person, but I just don't share it as widely as, as people tend to do now. And I worry about the way people overshare information about their lives without actually thinking through the consequences sometimes. But sometimes I would love to know more about what you were like when you were younger. Oh, when I was younger? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wasn't, we that dis- I wasn't that dissimilar to before we met, yeah. <laughs> before I met you, yeah. Well, I wasn't that dissimilar to what you were like I was when there you were younger. Met. You were there when we met. When you two met, yeah. I was but there. I wasn't there when you two met. No, no you weren't, Grace. No. no. What happened then? But when we met, mm. um, it was a coup de foudre. What does that mean? <laughs> Firework. I thought you said you liked me because I had a car. No, that's bother. That's just part of my part of my riff. All oh, right. Okay. So why did you like her? Um, I thought she was stylish, smart. Really nice bum. I know you're not allowed to say that, but I'm afraid that is awful. I hate the way you say that. Um, (laughs) And she had a car. And we were in this training zone. Um, No, it was very, very, very instant. I sort of knew straight away as well. Hmm. I didn't know know straight away we'd be together 40 years later, but I knew straight away something would would happen. Did you? I can't remember. I think he was so different to anybody I knew at the time. I think he was so different. You know, I came from London in the 1970s and, as my mother always said, you used to go out with people who wore bells around their necks. And And feathers in their hat. Feathers in their hat. (laughs) You once brought a boy back who had feathers in his hat. No, he had a feather in his hat, yeah. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I met this guy who came from the north of England who was really tall, which all my family are quite short. So that was a bit of a shock. And he he was wearing a sort of suit and his... And this sort of what can only be described as a sports coat, which nobody I knew in London wore clothes like that. So it was like, gosh, you know, he was obviously a very dominant person, very, he was very kind of commanded the space around him, very smart, very handsome, handsome going to go a long way. But he was just very, very different. So it was a bit of a shock to me, really, to find it attractive. Oh, you didn't think it was, did you think it was unfeminist of you to find it? No, not much unfeminist, it was just so different to what I'd known before that. Yeah. But did you think you were going to be together forever? No, I don't think you ever think like that when you're that age, do you? You just don't think in those terms. No, I think you're being more realistic. I don't think anyone actually thinks that. No, I never said that. Oh, you said you knew something was going to happen. I knew something was going to happen, as in, you know... Bing, bang, bong. What you have to remember is that we we were both in Plymouth, which was a long way from home and very different to my experience in London, for two, you know, in the West Country, for two years training as journalists after we'd got our degrees, so... We were kind of thrown together in a set of circumstances and we moved into a flat together after eight weeks, which is pretty unusual. For then. For then, and probably even for now, mm. at the age of 22. And that was like, it was circumstance. And then it would just, you know, that's how it started, really. Then it became a habit. Yeah, a habit. Yeah. Oh, that's, okay. that's what, that's what that's she's trying to say. Yeah, it I'm became it was, part of the routine. It was a big romantic thing. No, because I think your people, are, you know, people want it all to be hearts and flowers, but life isn't like that. I mean, the truth is, we obviously wanted to stay together mm. when we moved back to London. We wanted to stay together after that, and then you had your breakdown. And Rent that was free a... in your parents' house. What? Rent free in your parents' house. Yeah, we lived house. there for a year. Oh. Then we bought a flat, and mm-hmm. then, you know, then you had your breakdown, and 
that was another moment where you had to one had to decide where's this going you know it's a big thing that and stay or go and I decided to stay and then I got pregnant and you know Oh, your uncle. Very romantic. Well, I'm sorry yeah. it doesn't sound romantic, but I don't <laughs> think life is always like people want it to appear as a great big romantic drama. It might be mm. at the beginning, but the reality I'll tell you what was, 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 was Sorry, important. can I finish? Sorry, I thought you heard. <laughs> sorry, she was in the middle of a sentence. No, that happens to me stop. a lot, though. That happens to me a lot. But, I mean, the reality of most is relationships is that they are more... You know, well, they I are think... more prosaic, but there are other things come to the fore that aren't all about the coup food. Well, this is one of the best things that mum has taught me. Um, you guys didn't teach me many things. I'm learning lots of stuff. Like, did, did you know that you're supposed to brush your tongue when you brush your teeth? You know, I only found this out yesterday. I think From I've who? heard that before. From yeah, who? But... You don't brush your tongue. Do you From brush who? your tongue? Who told, you, who told you this? Do you brush your tongue? Never. You're joking. Do you no, brush your I tongue? I wash it. I wash it. You don't brush your tongue. Brush you know when my friends found this out, they were like, I don't know how you haven't had Sorry, the worst breath in the world. Because apparently everyone knows you get no, bad breath from not brushing your tongue. It says apparently. Who Show says? me the colour of your tongue. No, just tell me Show me your this. tongue. No, I've, look, I go to the acupuncturist and he looks at my tongue and that's enough. You don't this brush your tongue. Okay. Can we get back to the It's not boring, but what I was going to say is one of the good, really valuable things that you taught me is that, is that there's a problem now where everyone thinks that their relationship should be... Instagram worthy, perfect yeah. sort of look at us, look at us, look at us. And you've taught me that actually that's not really what love is like. No. It's much more functional. Functional? Yeah. It's, <laughs> making coffee. It's much I'm more, not talking about love. Works. I think there's love and then there's relationships, whether they're relationships with children, with family, with partners, with, you know, they, to endure, they become something different, I think. And when, when you're older and you look back, you can see that. But it's very difficult difficult to see it like that when you're in your early 20s. So why didn't you leave me when I was going mad then? It's a very good question. Well, I th- obviously, I loved you. That's the first point. But I know some people have left no, people. I know from tense. the conversations I've had with people since your books came out and your discussions about your mental health that people do leave partners that they love very much because they can't cope with their mental ill health. But I think loyalty, I think a sense of loyalty. And I think there's a quite deep part of me that you know, what, always wants to help people and make things better for them. And so I thought, I, you know, I couldn't abandon you at your time of need. If it was the other way around, if you had perfect mental health, I know there's no perfect mental health, mm. but if you had mum's mental health, which is she's not had tendencies of, like, having nervous breakdowns. Yeah. And she, if it was the other way around, what would you have done? Uh, Answer honestly. Well, I, d- I obviously don't know, but I'd be very surprised if I wouldn't stay with her. Mm. I mean, I've always looked after... People in my family who've had bad mental health have always felt responsibility and looked after them. Tried to. Donald, my brother. Uh, Graham, when he was really ill. Do you think people who leave are bad? No, I don't, because I think there probably are circumstances where you have to protect yourself. Mm. There was a point where I did feel a bit unsafe in that first breakdown. There was a point where I did feel unsafe. And I remember discussing it with my father, who was very close to Alistair, and so, and him saying to me, "You have to really decide if you want to stay with him or not." And you know that made me think. But then he had this big breakdown. <laughs> if she left, would be a bob would have got Sorry. off the bite. It's just. Have you noticed that every time I say something, he starts butting <laughs> yeah. in? No, it's my it's my podcast. I do what I want. Carry on. There's no. But he it's gets true. so angry at me when I interrupt. You our say guests. that, and my dad did love you very much. You know, you got on so well together, but. At the end of the day, of course he did. my interests were more of concern to him. Then he had this breakdown. We had separated for like two days. He'd gone off somewhere and he had this breakdown. I got this call in the middle of the night to say that he'd been arrested and he was in Scotland. And funnily enough, he was in the town where my dad grew up, Paisley, 
So, of course, I phoned my dad. Was that a, just a coincidence? Yeah. yeah, totally, yeah. He was a private hospital in... He was put into this private hospital in Paisley. And then my dad and I flew to Glasgow, I remember it, and went to Paisley. It was just the most bizarre thing, this terrible flight. We didn't really know what we were going to find at the other end. And, you know, and I think that was the moment I realised when I saw Alistair that, you know, he was so in such a vulnerable, fragile state that I couldn't just abandon him. Oh. And I remember I stayed in this little pub, or it was a pub or a little hotel, I can't remember, and... Eventually, my dad went home and I stayed there. And I used to go back to my room every night and just cry and phone. I remember phoning Peter Mandelson, who was a really good friend of ours at the time, and just sort of weeping down the phone at him and saying, what can I do? And But yeah. why did you have to stay? Were you, is it because you had to stay in hospital for mm. a long time? Yeah, no, I mean, I can't remember how long it was. It Five or six days. Yeah, right. it was about a week or something. Um, I, remember, I remember, no, I do remember thinking that, because I thought I was going to lose my job which I sort of did, but then I didn't. I got my old job back and I was convinced mum would leave me. Um, and I was mad. I was absolutely insane. I mean, mm. I was totally psychotic. I was having strange thoughts about everything. But I did know when mum walked in that she wasn't going to leave me. It's quite strange. Wow. Um, so I think I would... I think if I think if if mum had sort of had, you know, real mental health problems, I think I would, yeah, because I've always been attracted to people with mental health. Issues. Why are you attracted to so me? Why are you attracted to mum? Well, that might be. That's a very good point. Maybe it's because. <laughs> Who else have you been attracted to? No, what to, I mean, but freak? I mean, I don't mean to live with. I mean, like you know, even as a child, I can remember watching somebody having a breakdown in Tyree, and being utterly fascinated by it. And he was he was arrested as well. Uh, What's his name? God, Sydney, and um, and then like you know, I've just had a lot of. So I think I think you part of the attraction. You've been drawn to them. Yeah, I. But I think that. Part of the attraction is the sense that mum does have that sort of strength and stability. Well, that's why that you're, you're incredibly lucky. Very lucky. Because I don't think... Do you think you guys could have sustained if you also had bad mental health? I think it would have been hard. I think about this a lot. Really hard. I think it would have been really hard. Because I think it is a really big... You know, and I've got this little group going now, which has arisen out of the publicity I've done around Alistair's book, where we meet and totally... Not the new book, the old book. The old book, confidentially mm. online, Living to talk better. about... Um, you know what it's like. like yeah yeah people who contacted me after the book came out and one of the things that comes up a lot in the conversations is this you know the the, the it's like carrying around this huge weight all the time when you're with somebody who's suffering from poor mental health and it's a really invisible sort of burden that nobody else can see and, and often don't know about and it's really how you look after yourself in those situations very very tough I think if you had poor mental health as well it would be very easy to go under carrying that burden I think it's hard to sustain that. No, no, we're, we're interviewers in this podcast, Grace. Fiona's, your mother's our interviewee. I just want to ask a question. Yes. Um, don't you agree, though, <laughs> that on balance, we, we, the, I focus a lot on this mental health, but actually, you've had quite a good life with me. Don't want, let's not, let's not just all no, sort no of... No one was saying that. Okay, okay. No, can I, can I, I would you agree? Can would I you agree? Something? You went to see Jeremy Hunt when he was health secretary. Am I allowed to tell the story? Yeah. To talk about depression. This is what I mean, you are exposing. And you said, and he said to you, Mm. what have you got to be depressed about? Yeah. And you were affronted by that. I didn't say it like that. He did, he said. Yeah, because sometimes I think, what does someone like Alistair Campbell have to be depressed about? That's what he said. Yeah, so you've just said the same thing to me, is that, you know, you've got such a great life that these things... No. That's what it sounds like now. Because you're saying that all the... Physical, material things should compensate no, for... No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that because, is because I talk a lot about mental health, and now you do as well because you wrote a chapter in the 
best-selling book, Living Better Out in Paperback, soon. So sometimes we, I, give the impression that it's all about me being crazy the whole time, but actually most of the time we're, we're fine. I'm fine, you're fine. I don't think fine. anyone listening thinks okay. that it's you're crazy all the time. Okay. And also anybody who's got any but, experience with somebody with mental health issues will know that it's not all the time, is it? But in a way, the uncertainty and unpredictability about it is part of the burden. But mm. it's also, that's what makes it interesting, you know? Mm. It yeah, you're does... very, you're very, I mean, I said, we're saying in the little call group call we had last night, the thing about you is that when you're down, it's awful. But when you're not down, you're really, really funny and you're, it's never boring living with you. So never boring. That is the, that is the dilemma. You say, do... the, say the line, sometimes difficult, never boring. Sometimes difficult. Sometimes boring, never difficult, was it? No, he said yeah. to me, I say, some people always say to me, what's it like living with Alistair Campbell? And I always say, well, it's very difficult, but never boring. And you, and Alistair once said to me, life with Fiona Miller is boring, but never difficult. <laughs> I didn't really read that. But... So what's been the high point of your life, Fiona Miller? My children. Oh. And what's been the low point of your life? Uh, well, their various mental health struggles. I mean, obviously your mental health struggles, but I think it's not the same when your children are concerned. Mm. And the problems they've had have been the low points. Did you, um, do you, to some extent, blame me for Callum's alcoholism? I don't like that word, blame. I mean, one of the things I learned from going to see your psychiatrist with this is a really pointless word, that blame, you know, it just ends up with more trouble mm. and doesn't resolve yeah. anything. So I don't think it's And blame. regret. There's regret. no but point I think it's. Anything. I think it is helpful to understand maybe why things happen the way they did, and I do spend quite a lot of time thinking about that, yes. Mm-hmm. Um... Well, one of the things that I was going to write about in my book, but then we took it out because it sort of didn't quite work, but it's something I think about a lot, is the timing of my birth with your dad's death. Mm. And I think about that a lot because I'm, that's my biggest fear, that I'll have a baby and then one of, my, one of you two will die. Mm. Um, it's not automatic. No, but it's just a horrible mm. timing. Was well, it, I think surely was uh, that one of the high and low points? Well, I think it's more likely to happen regressively in the current... Because people, women are leaving it so much later to have children that, you know, there's quite a strong chance that their children won't know their grandparents in the way that earlier generations did. So my dad was, you know, he was very... He was 72 when he died, but, I mean, you know, we didn't have kids till we were in our... Well, we were quite young, actually, by well, today's standards. Yeah. It's quite interesting, though. You, you, it is quite strange that you have no sort of sense of Fiona's dad at all. No. Mm. No. No, it was just very sad. It was terrible timing. I think it's awful. It was awful. Horrible. But I remember when I wanted to have a third baby and the boys were going, you know, we'd had these two boys and they were sort of at school and everything and I really wanted to have another baby quite strongly. And I remember Alistair saying, you know, your mum, your dad, your mum and dad won't always be around because they looked after the kids a lot. And, of course, it was turned out to be horribly prophetic. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, Audrey's still around. Yeah, she was still around. Still yeah. She was very helpful. Yeah. I say this to all of you, before you get hitched up with anybody, check out the parents. Tres important. What are you talking about? But it would be horrible to have a bad relationship with the parents. Yeah, but also, more importantly, whoever you have babies with, make sure they're going to be a good parent. I don't, yeah, I don't, sure you can set all these conditions ad nauseum for the sort of people you're going to have children with. At some point, you've got to make a decision to do it and then make the best of it. Because, you know, nobody's life is perfect. I think that's the other thing I would say is that, you know, people want everything to be perfect and it just isn't. Life throws up all sorts of curveballs at you and things you didn't know about the people you end up with when you got together with them. And you, you've got to have the resilience and the strength to be able to cope with them. And I think 
I mean, that is the one thing I feel about the lack of mental health preparation from a very young age in the in the in this society is we don't prepare people in for resilience in that way. We focus too much on other things, and yet what I see all around me is people who struggle with the resilience to deal with very difficult situations. Yeah, well, like having a baby, and then yeah, also being a woman with a baby, or somebody with mental health, or a pandemic, or whatever. But but what was it like being a a mum of three kids? with a really demanding job and then a partner who had an even more demanding job? I think, it was, I think it was really difficult. And you talk about my regrets. I think one of my other regrets is I've always had this big regret, which I've sort of got over now about my career or lack of career. Because What do you mean lack of career? No, because I did have a career trajectory, which I came off because I had children. And it's very, very common. I've written a book about it. It's a very common path for a lot of women that they, you know, you're an equal partner with somebody, then you get pregnant and then somebody has to make a decision about changing their work-life balance in order to accommodate family life. And a lot, in the vast majority of cases, it is the woman who does that. Then they go on a more sort of, you know, level trajectory while the man carries on up the career ladder. And I saw a lot of my friends who didn't do that, who just carried on. People I, who didn't have kids. They had kids or they didn't have kids and they carried on up the career ladder. And I didn't. I decided to sort of give up my, my career at that stage, work in a different way, more flexibly, self-employed. And, I, you know, I felt I never achieved the things as a journalist that I probably would have done if I hadn't done that. And for a long time that did... I did really regret that a lot. But then when I look back now and when I talk to women and girls and go to schools and talk about these things, I always say that there can be a positive in that because it means I've done a lot of different things that I didn't think I would do because being a mum forced me to work in a different way. And that was only when I was speaking, speaking at your school, actually, when you were at your school, I was at an awards ceremony and they read, the head teacher read out my CV before I get up to give this award or whatever. And I realised, bloody hell, that's me, I've done it. And somebody said to me, God, you're amazing. And I realised I had done an awful lot with my life, even though I hadn't achieved the things I thought I would achieve. Because I'd been a journalist, I'd been a political correspondent, I worked in Fleet Street, and then, then I went to work at Number 10, I worked in politics, and I came out and I became a freelance and an education campaigner and did all that stuff. And, and actually, it was much more varied than it probably would have been if I just stuck to that original trajectory I was on. But then do you... Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a hard dynamic because then... Would you, you know, the only alternative really is if you were with someone who was more willing... Well, I think it's much more common now. I think it's much more common now than it was. I mean, remember, I had a first child in 1987. You only, really, you only got three months maternity leave now. Now you're entitled to a year. I mean, it was quite backward in many ways. Although I must say I worked on a terrible right-wing paper, the Daily Express, which was better than it is now, but it was a very right-wing paper. And the Honestly, the editor and the guy I work for were absolutely brilliant. I mean, they went out of their way to create flexible working arrangements for me. Um, and I, for that, I'm eternally grateful because it did mean I could keep my foot in the door, as it were, and keep working. And I went, and went on to have another baby and then they gave me another flexible freelance contract. And, and that was fantastic. So I have seen good examples of employers who can support women with children. But, and it, it's much better now obviously because also people are much more likely to be self-employed you know and different it's, it's like work is different mm. and it's more flexible now generally speaking but it's still not there like I still really worry about the concept of having mm. children and, and how to balance I, yeah. I'm worried that I don't want to have kids too early you tell me you did the other day yeah but I'm I do because of my physical body I want to recover mm. more when I'm younger but on a career level, no, I don't. I'd rather put it off until I've gotten to the point I mm. want to in my career. I don't. Th- I honestly think it's not. 
I mean, I think you've got to make of it what you do, make the decision that's right for you and, and make the most of it as you can. But I, the one thing I would say, my lesson to other women is, firstly, always join a union if you can, because if you do get into difficulties, you've got somebody to represent you. And secondly, never walk away from a career completely. Always keep your foot in the door. So even my, my four half days going into the Daily Express... They allowed me to walk four four half days a week doing a job that they sort of created. And then, what? For me. Who would look after your kids? What? No, I think <laughs> I did have somebody to look after, but they also I think they might have them, been at, no, they were partly at nursery, and I had somebody to help with at home, but I didn't have somebody living in. But I had Sorry, so, I Anna came in every two Anna, days a week. Yeah, some of the time. But anyway, you're 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 moving away from this story. The fact that I carried on working meant I had the confidence, and I kept my skills mm. up, and I kept my CV up, as it were that I never came out of the jobs market. One of the things I discovered when I did my book is that women who stopped for four or five years when they had kids found it really difficult and to go back. And lose confidence. Lose confidence. That's the thing. It's you... very difficult to go back. And then you feel like you've you've completely missed out and things have changed and then yeah, you come back. Yeah, and also they were very like, worried about the sort anymore. of role models they were providing to their daughters, so... What do you think, Alistair? Well, this is my... I, I asked the questions on this one, Grace. Do you think it's possible to be a, a parent, a good parent, and do impossibly difficult jobs i do yeah i do i do but i think you need a really really good support around you you really and you need you know your children need to have good strong relationships with whoever the other caregivers are so they have stability um i do think it's possible but i think it's really really hard but i also think it's really hard being a mum and it is predominantly mums alone at home with small children that is also something that's painted as a sort of glorious wonderful experience for a lot of women it isn't it's quite soul-destroying and lonely. So I think there's got to be a balance between the two. You know, look to the Scandinavian countries. They've always done this much better than us. Who is an example of people who have... Obviously, you guys did it all right, for sure. Well, the person it's... I always think of at the moment is that Ursula von der Leyen. I mean, I just look at her. She's doesn't got... she have, like, ten kids? She's seven kids. She's she doesn't seven... even live there, though. What? She lives in Brussels and they're in Germany. I know. She's got seven kids, but, I mean, they're quite old now, aren't they? Yeah, she's I... my she's my age. She's got seven kids. Yeah, but listen, we don't know them. No, we don't know them. But I mean, I don't know. But I mean, and there's you know there are, quite, there are examples of people like that who who do it well. But I think it's really hard. I think if you're earning a lot of money, it makes it much easier because you can buy in a lot of good really good support around you to make your life easier. That's um, for sure how all of the Kardashians do it. But I think it's really tough for people who aren't earning a lot of money. This, is, I think this feels a bit Kardashian, isn't it? <laughs> hey, what? Isn't this a bit Kardashian? Do they interview each other? They they just have a reality TV show. Okay, is that right? Okay. No, but anyway, I, I think that's one area that we haven't really moved as a society. We haven't really moved forward in terms of that. You know, you, if men were made to take parental leave in the same amount of time off as women do after the birth of a child, I think things would start to shift. We did more of that under the Labour government. <laughs> yeah, the Labour government was making big strides in that area, but I don't see it being taken forward now. Certainly not by Boris Johnson. But also, it's a, it's a cultural thing. More men have to not see that as a point of weakness. No, but if they had to take on the childcare, it would become more acceptable. That's true. Um, anyway, that's just... Why, you asked about my regret, and that is a rather long roundabout way of saying... I why, think. Can I ask you a question? Why do you make me listen to the radio in the morning when I want silence? Well, I offer to go out and walk and listen to it on my own without you. Because I like to listen it's to the It's very needy I tell you, you No, I, I think that it's... At the moment, it's a very difficult moment at which there's a lot is going on which we feel really angry and upset about politically and culturally. My way of dealing with it is to understand it, immerse myself about it and make make my own opinion. And to do that, I like to listen to the news and think about what's being said. 
your way of dealing with it is not to make yourself very angry by listening to it. And there's a fundamental conflict there. You, not to make yourself angry. You consciously don't make yourself angry. Yeah, then I get I mean, it is I quite triggering. You go on Twitter. Well, then I go and do one of my Instagram rambles that you think are very amateur. And... I don't. I think they're hilarious. Tyler said that they really help her anxiety <laughs> watching them. Yeah. She watches them every morning. It really helps her. Um, well, I think that, you know, I do think that is a different approach to... I mean, I, I do draw the line when Boris Johnson comes on. I do have to turn off and I can't stand it. But, I mean, I do find it quite important to listen to the arguments that are being made about things and try and work out how, how it's being covered <clears> in the news and what I think about it. So, the news today, what was the big news? The uh, Uber. police... Uh, Uber. What's Uber? Like, what's happening what's Uber? with Uber? No, I know well, I can't, Uber I'd ban Uber, you know that. But you'll probably tell me that it's bad for the safety of young women. And I do buy into that argument because it's a very safe way, cheap way for women to travel. But... About Uber drivers being entitled to rights. Yeah, well, I agree. They Same rights be. as other workers, yeah. So that's quite a big story because it applies to a lot of people in the community. So can, can I ask you about feminism? Okay. How can you claim to be a feminist when you, you know, you, you sort of insist on making me three cups of coffee every morning? It's awful. I agree. <laughs> I've, not, I've failed in but some she, ways. Mum is a patriarchal feminist. Right. That's what I've always said. Is that bad? Well, I haven't got married. But, I? No, you haven't got married, but you do do a lot of house stuff. My observation, you want to do because I thought I and my the reason I was part of that campaign to get civil partnerships is I believe that is a modern day alternative to marriage that's more equitable and less patriarchal, and that's why I've been waiting for that to become legal. Which we, if it hadn't been for the lockdown, we'd have done it by now. But we're hoping we're going to do it in two weeks' time. But I do think that is. I don't like marriage. I think marriage is a really patriarchal institution. It's something that never appealed to me. I could never see myself doing it, walking down the aisle or even walking into a registry office and made me feel ill. Sorry. Sorry to all the people My observation of, of the dynamic is that actually it's more because Dad says he can't do anything and because you're just, like, more caring. nice. I'm you're a caring more caring. Person. You're yeah. an empath. Oh. So you just do it. You know, if I want something, you just do yeah, it because you're a really nice person. Yeah, exactly. Oh, is this, is You're this supposed to be a nice feminist. You can be a nice feminist. That's possible. You say I'm not a nice person. No, yeah, it's just you can't do stuff. You say you can't do no, it. No, that's all deliberate. I know it's all so deliberate. Like that day when I said, would you mow the lawn? He said, if I wanted to mow the lawn, I'd have become a gardener. <laughs> and then the other time, the first time he was ever asked to use the vacuum cleaner, he broke it. And that was so clever. I realised that so years clever. later. Dad, I do that as I'm well. I'm not going to entrust him with a piece of machinery again. I'll just do it myself. That's what I do. I just do stuff really badly. So, so Why don't you like football, by the way, Fiona Miller? I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And I, and I find it? the backdrop, going back to my childhood and listening to the match of the day, which the music I noticed has not changed since the 1960s. Sky just did a little... When you did that? To, listening to that, it's a backdrop, and your heart would sink when the music came on because you know that half the house would just be sort of like staring blindly at this screen and, and shouting and jumping around about things that I just don't understand. Hmm. But now it's even worse. It's on all the time. You can be on 24-7. You can be watching. And as you know, both your sons are sort of, you know, obsessed and professionally involved with it. So, but how have you found it? another language to me. How have you found it being locked inside a house for over a year now with Alistair Campbell? Well, we've been out quite a bit. And we did have a brief flurry of, we did travel a bit in the summer. But it was still just you two. Yeah, it's been quite an eye-opener really i think we've gotten much better than i would have thought if somebody had said to me before you know so i'm a really nice guy see and i'm really nice to mum she's just blessed i mean now i think we feel it's a bit boring it is a bit boring and i think sometimes i wish i know it's awful for the people who've got kids who are doing the homeschooling and working and but in, in a way i wish you were all younger because i think it would give us 
<coughs> a bit more kind of structure and purpose to our life. And just more to do. More to do. Yeah. You know, it's quite... We're, so we're lucky because we're in a big house but with only the two of us. So we don't have to be on top of each other all the time. But equally, you just wish it was a bit more full of life. And it's been quite strange not having any other people in the house. But it's a kind of interesting timing for both of you because you're... Um, old. You're get you're not get you're not old visibly you're not old but you're moving into a different phase of life let's be honest unless you decide you're going to have a another phase of your career which you know I think you should but um that's another conversation isn't mm. it this is the Fiona Miller podcast not the me podcast. but so I don't this really year feel like sort of old in that I just feel we're in a different phase because all the you've all grown up and you're pretty independent so there isn't that context anymore. And all the things I thought would be possible to do once we got into this situation have suddenly not been possible. Like having the freedom to travel or go out in the evening and all those things. Just we haven't been able to do any of them. And so that's been quite weird because I think we'd have been going away a lot. And, you know, that maybe that will happen now. I don't know. And I feel it's horrible for young people. But it's also quite awful for people at our age who might you know, feel their life sort of ticking away and can't do all the things they might have wanted to do when they, you know, are free of the responsibilities they had when they were younger. What do you feel about this stuff, about the vaccine causing blood clots? Well, I mean, I, it worries me a lot, to be perfectly honest, because I think there's a big anti-vax feeling out there, which I don't understand at all. I've never understood Well, I it. saw this thing today that really blew my mind. All this stuff about the vaccine. The contraceptive yes, pill that, is yeah. so much more likely to cause yeah. blood clots than any of these vaccines. And nobody I mean, talks about that. My point is that I think... There's a lot of vaccine scepticism already and I worry that anything that plays into it will impede all our ability to get out of this terrible situation we're in because we're only going to get out of it truly when as many people as possible are vaccinated. So I'm the, wor- I, the worst thing I find, I, I, just, I just don't feel this is... Uh, I feel Britain is not becoming Britain in some weird sort of way. I feel we're just becoming a country that I don't recognise. It really depresses Tragic, me. Tragic, embarrassing. <clears throat> well, and just... I mean, Incompetent. Just, Worse than that. It's worse than that. I think the government's really, really bad, and it sort of, you know. So they've got nothing to do with vaccines, though. Oh, I was asking, answering a different question, really. Yeah. Sorry, and I keep, I keep drifting. Yeah, but I mean, from... I think that is an important point. I think something is happening politically by default that people aren't really aware of what's happening, and it's. It, I find it. We find it very distressing and upsetting, and I mean, it's just, people have been politically involved and able to make political change in the past. It is really frustrating to watch virtually no opposition to what is a very authoritarian and in my view dishonest government oh totally but then do you think that that's specifically because you've been in positions of changing like i don't have that same feeling even though i'm angry and i really care i don't feel the way that you get so het up about it dad Mm. i don't have that no i think it's really difficult if you've had the opportunity to make change and been in you know, you've got to be politically realistic here. You've got to get into power to really make things done. And whatever campaign you're involved in, you will ultimately need political backing to make the changes that you need. And to see nobody else with any pro- prospects of having power, apart from possibly the SNP in Scotland, and I'm not even so sure about that now, is really, is really depressing. Would you ever support Alistair Campbell going back into politics? I think probably now I would, yes, because I think there's a terrible dearth of people with sort of passion, not only passion, but ability to communicate and strategize in any of the opposition parties at the moment. Yeah, it's a bit like, you know, you're, they're sort of pigeons and you're like a, a swan. Oh, okay. Swan a good thing, hello, Sky. 
Sky is saying, you're not leaving my side ever. So in that, in that reason, in that case, Fiona Miller, why did you, um, why did you play such a major role in stopping my political life? Well, I didn't. You could have gone into politics and you chose not to. That is true. That was more, more me saying I didn't want either of you to go back into politics. Yeah, Actually, you nearly did, didn't you? You nearly did it last time. Oh, I, did, I nearly did it a few years ago, and so did you. But the point is, we chose not to, but the, you mm. could have done it. And I think, well, the thing is, would you have survived the Corbyn era if you'd become a Labour MP? Probably not. Mm. Um, so what is, what, what if, what if, what if? But the question is where we are now. There's a desperate need for people to make alternative arguments and to get them heard and to attract public opinion to those alternative arguments. And we're just not seeing that at the moment. Let's just give one moment to Sky. I think she just really wants the mic. Yeah. She stopped. She stopped. Starts again. Okay. Sky, you're on the telly, or the, whatever it's called. You're on the pod. Yeah. Well, you know, I think... Um... And I think it's also very frustrating for millions of people who I know feel like we do. I mean, just, I know it's with the B word, I'm not supposed to use it, but... Just look at the whole Brexit thing. Look at all those people who turned out on the streets, the million people who turned out on the streets. I'm allowed three Brexit mentions per podcast. To March. And <laughs> where's all that, where has all that sentiment go now? We know it's still out there, but nobody's representing their views, and, which is why I think it was a disaster for Labour to vote for this terrible Brexit deal, because now they can't criticise it. And so the government's getting away with absolute murder on this. And I think a lot of people out here are very, very frustrated and looking for somebody to lead them. And that person doesn't really exist. No, and, and I can't really see who that person could be, even if there was a Labour leadership election. So I think, Alistair, you have got a role. I think you have got a role in leading and shaping opinion. Do you think that? Yeah, but so I, I, I feel that, I mean, you know, it's 1994 we did the opposition thing and then we won. And then, I, I don't know, it just feels... I feel I can do my bit without getting throwing myself right into it. I can't imagine throwing myself right into it and doing nothing else. I think I'd go crazy again. Well, you would go crazy if, if you weren't working with people who were as committed to making that change and mm. winning as you are. And that would, that, seems, that would be very difficult. And we were very lucky to be part of something that was an extraordinary experience at the time, the 94 to 97, and that first Labour government was incredible. And, and, and knowing that, that may ne- something like that may never happen again in our lifetimes is awful. When you say you don't think Dad, if he was in politics, he would have survived the Corbyn era, is that because you think Corbyn would have fired him or, we did or he fire would have him. quit? <laughs> he did fire that's him. That's true. Yeah. He, but he, if he was an MP, he wouldn't have voted for Lib Dems. No, that's true. But I think it would, there would have been great differences of opinion and there would have been some... It would have been quite hard, I think, yeah. No, I think, what do you uh, think it would have... I think it would have been very hard. I mean, I, look, I know a lot of the MPs who were friends of mine who were in there at that time and it was it was horrific i'm not sure they find it that yeah i'm not sure that i'm not sure they find it that much better now because they just see this government that ought to be getting ripped to shreds but it's very difficult in this country with the media that we've got um and with and also the other thing i find is like when when we're out walking the dog and i we bump into people and i just can't understand why people aren't raging a lot of them are raging. a lot of them are but a lot of them you know and i think we have become a country where Um. Uh, be calmed, yeah. A lot of people think as long as you know, strictly come dancing is on. It's like, well, there's nothing you do. Let's get on with it. But then, what's the alternative that people riot? What can those p- civilians do? Well, I think that, 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 that well, I do wonder whether this policing bill is partly because the government worries that's where it's heading. Yeah, mm. 
But but what what do you think those people who aren't you with six hundred thousand Twitter followers and a you know profile? Mm. What can they do? It's very hard. They can. They just have to get involved. In funny enough, I had a message this morning from somebody who said, "I'm waking up every morning. I feel sick. I feel desperate. What can I do?" And it's very hard to say what people should do. I do think in the end you've got to get engaged politically, join parties, campaign, etc. But this is what cetera, I'm but... saying is I don't think it's fair to then say, oh, it's crazy that they're not angry because why would you be no, I that agree. angry I agree. when it... there isn't anywhere you could expel I your agree. anger to? I agree. It's not, I really, I mean, I know he's, <laughs> he's uh, some people find him a bit much to take, but I really like that guy, Steve Bray. You know, the guy who just stands around Westminster all day oh, shouting yeah. through a <laughs> megaphone, right? I mean, he's just decided that's all he can do. So he does what he can do. We all have to do what we can do, but there's the thing in our politics. I, I saw this during the People's Vote campaign. You have to have political organisations, yeah, yeah, yeah. and ultimately, it's got to be I the mean, parties. Every campaign I've been involved in, that's outside, you know, non not party political campaign, has succeeded or failed depending on the political yeah. backing they had. And I think that working you know, with within Parliament. Mm. And this whole thing about you know, I think at the moment, I mean, I do as much as anybody else. You know, get on Twitter, rant and rage. I think it has a marginal impact. Ultimately, unless you're getting politically organised, it's very difficult to make change. And this lot are in now. Johnson's a truly dreadful human being. He's got a majority. They've got an agenda. They don't care what people think about them. I actually spoke to one of his MPs the other day, and I said, when are you lot going to stand up against the fact that, you know, just call this guy out for the lies and the rest of it? He said, listen, you've got to understand, they're waking up every day and they're thinking, how can we annoy people like you and me? Mm. That's what he said. And, you know, he's a Tory MP. Mm. who voted for the policing yeah. bill because otherwise he's nosed out. Is that really how he would have known he would have been out? Wouldn't be out, but look what happened to them in the Brexit, yeah, in the last election. The ones who... People like Ken Clark with Philip Hammond, Hammond. For Nick Soames. I mean, just kicked out of the party. Zoom. I mean, they're root, absolutely ruthless. And what you haven't got on the left is that level of relentless ruthlessness. No, what you have on the left is people that, who prefer to, you know, fight amongst ourselves rather than, you know... Get stuck in against them. Yeah, but also that's the thing with yesterday is that we had no chance because the Labour, the Tory majority is so big. Mm. Like they could just well, put anything you. through. Thank you, Jeremy thank you, Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn. That's thank what you, all Corbyn. of these people who love Jeremy Corbyn yesterday were tweeting. Oh, this is fucking insane. It's mm. Jeremy Corbyn's fault. Like well, he, it's not all his fault. Yeah, but he handed them so much power. No, yeah, but Labour, Labour elected Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour member. That's true, but and a lot of Jeremy people Corbyn who are currently in job. the shadow cabinet supported Corbyn throughout that time and didn't challenge him. The brave ones, are the, I, in my view, the ones who did leave and try and do something different now are considered a laughing stock. Like really, well, people like Luciana Berger, right. like um, Chucker, Chucker. Yeah, they're out as well. They're out. Yeah, but at least are they, they at least they no. followed their conscience and said we can't stand this. Yeah, but they're out, and yeah. you know he's and in. And is it better being in or out? Well, yeah, he's not in. in. No, I'm talking about Johnson. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, completely. No, it's a complete shit show, and I understand your pain and why you're so angry, because you feel you, there's more you could have done. And there is more you could have done. Yeah, for sure, there always is. There always is. And also, you know, I, I, look, you know, we were part of the thing about... I remember having massive arguments with you about Jeremy Corbyn, you, Grace, when you were sort of, and you Sky. know... When you When you were, you know thinking he might be the answer. And, and so we were part of that. Once he became leader, I didn't attack him that much, but I didn't really support him. But it's because I didn't think the public were ever going to elect him. Mm. And, you know, now I think with Keir, I think that Keir is at least presentable and people can imagine him as a prime minister. But it's, you know, not to be doing better against this government of liars and charlatans is quite worrying. Mm. 
Anyway, let's not get too much on this. Yeah. Okay. So let's end on a high note. Let's end on a, on some short fire questions. Go then. Okay. Okay. Short. What's the best TV program you watched in the whole pandemic? Your Honor. I think Your Honor. I think it was Queen's absolutely Gambit. bloody brilliant. Can I just say that was a question directed at Mum first, to me. first Sorry. of all. Sorry. Okay. But also, those are the only things you've watched recently. You have to think there's been a whole year of great television. Dogs of Berlin. No, Your Honor was. I think it was absolutely brilliant. Mm. Absolutely, because it was un- it was challenging and really uncomfortable to watch, but brilliantly made. And Brian, Cran- I've always thought Brian Cranston is an absolute size, a wonderful actor, and it, so it had a combination of all those things. It had grit, it had politics, it had a personal drama at the centre of it. it. Had great acting, great direction, brilliant screenplay. What's your favourite German program that I've made you watch? <sighs> Probably, quite, I did like the Dogs of Berlin, but I like that thing we watched as a three part. Pro series. Oh, yeah. It was made into one film about those three women, the generation yeah. of three women living on that, the northern German coast, dealing with the family kind of trauma. What was that called? Yeah. I can't remember, but it was very good. What book did you prefer, Living Better or Amazing Disgrace? Prefer? Well, they're both quite uncomfortable mm, for me. Reading question. about your experiences was very difficult. And then rereading about my own life. But I think on balance, since I'd lived through living better, I'll say amazing disgrace. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And what about that? Are you upset that of all the family members in the index of the new book, Volume 8 of the Diaries, the one with the most entries is Callum? <laughs> but remember that I once, when Alistair's first diaries came out, I wrote a piece in The Guardian, I think, about my index entries, which were really telling. What there were was, they? Oh, they were rows awful. Those rows. Fiona angry. Fiona cross. Fiona. Fiona says leave job. Fiona says leave job. Fiona makes fruitcake for John Prescott, <laughs> and we have a row about Tony Blair. <gasps> it was all really quite funny because it did. It made me see how I was seen by Alistair through that period. Mm. Anyway, it was quite funny. It's a good way of looking at your your relationship through an index. Yeah. If you live with someone, I've never read support. any of them. <laughs> have you? No. The diaries. I read the Blair years, but not the volumes. Ooh. You're in them a bit. A lot. I said to Dad, I don't care what you say about me. I, bet I you think you find them interesting. I definitely would. I just find them a bit too hard. And politics is interesting. No, yeah. I know, but it's just a bit too hard. What, long words and stuff? Yeah, just I can't read. No. No, um, no I just find it a bit, it's a bit sort of... Oh, the Blairs is an audio book, Can I ask you a quick yeah. question? What's your favourite joke? You know that, because I don't do jokes. I, the only joke I can ever remember is one that my brother used to love when he was a little boy, and it was how to get rid of £10 of fat cut off your head. Right. <laughs> I don't, just don't do jokes. I know you think I haven't got a sense of humour. I'm not funny. Mum anyway. does have a sense of humour. Do you know how she got a sense of humour? Because she laughs at things. Mm. Me and Mum laugh at a lot yeah. of things. How did so you that's... feel at Edinburgh when Grace was doing that really kind of over-the-top stuff? Quite funny, laugh, laugh, uncomfortable at times, and very, very belly laughing. Yeah, at other times. she loves it. Yeah, she loves it. You know, okay. I'm very conscious that I'm sitting in the audience as her mother, and she keeps referring, waving her arm around to me, so other people know and are looking to see how I'm reacting yeah, to things. So what's, the, what's, the, what's your favourite ever Burnley game of the? <laughs> well, the fir- my favourite ever Burnley game was the first one I went to. It was the only one I can really remember, and it was at Torquay, which mm. was a little, tiny, little sort of shack of a football ground it wasn't little but it was a little tiny football ground wasn't it and I'll never forget you saying to me I love the interval or is it called the interval half no, time, time. <laughs> and the interval you said to me look round and you suddenly see cigarettes which of course you'd never seen now everybody will light up a cigarette and I looked round the ground and it was sort of dusk wasn't it because it was a wow. in Devon and all you could see were these little lights Friday going on. little but lights going people wouldn't smoke during the game 
Yeah, they would, but then at half time, they'd every, every lit up a cigarette, and that it was quite so fascinating to watch it because you saw these tiny little lights go on all around the stage. Wow, and that's kind of cool, and that's the only thing I remember about it. I don't even know the score, and I can't even remember. We, we want to know. Did well, you? That's um, crazy. You remember that forty years ago? Did you um, enjoy the game when I asked you to leave at half time? No, I left because I was sick. I was pregnant with Grace, uh, with bad morning sickness, and I felt so sick. And we were at Burnley and I walked out at half, left at half time. I felt and then so Burnley good. won. And the minute I left the ground, there was this huge uproar because Burnley had scored. And I took that as a sign that I was never supposed to go back. Correct. You're banned for life. Well, Fiona, it was lovely to meet you <laughs> and thank you for coming on our podcast. Well, thank you for letting me talk, you two, for a little bit. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and, th- and thank you, Sky, for the backing track. Yeah. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.